0: All right, guys, come on in. Grab a seat. We're going to continue our time together. Come on back. All right. Come grab a seat.
1: Hello? Yes, this is Mimi Anna Jones. Belloc, what is it? Make it snappy. I've got to talk to the kids at family day at Anthem. What? a terrible idea. You never come up with any good ideas, Belloc. That is just dumb, 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 dumb. Well, you're a real poo-poo head. By the way, are you interested in coming to church with me next Sunday? No? Okay, then. Well, talk to you later. Bye. Oh, sorry, everyone. Didn't realize you were there. Yes, it's I, Mimi Anna Jones, straight back from a special expedition to the great salt mines in China. I bought you a little sample to share with you today of what I found there. Now, who can tell me, look at this. This is the highest quality Look at that. Salt. Have a little, just tell us, is that real salt, Ellie? Taste it. Mmm, what does it taste like? Salt. <laughs> All right, who can tell me what are things that we use salt for in our world today? Anybody have an idea, Lucas? Eggs? Eggs without salt are what? Black. <laughs> Eggs that, so salt makes things not sweet, tasty, salty, flavorful. Anybody else have another idea? Something you can think of that we use salt for? <laughs> we do use it to make ice cream. Does anybody know why salt helps to make ice cream? Or if you've ever lived, what? Yes. It makes it get cold faster because it melts ice. Salt actually, and if you've ever, none of us in California really have had to deal with this. But back east where it snows all, ta- all the time, they put salt on the road when the roads are icy to help melt the ice so salt can help to melt ice also salt in ancient times worked in two different ways one as a preservative to preserve things they would put it on their meats and fish and make them last longer because they didn't have refrigerators also salt works as an antiseptic have you ever heard of the term rubbing salt in the wound that's and it stings doesn't it have you ever been to the beach and you have a cut or a scrape and you get in that salt water it kind of stings a little bit but interestingly enough after later it, it feels better it helps to heal because it pulls the any infection out you know, in, the, in very ancient times, salt was really valuable. In fact, the first Roman soldiers were paid with salt. They'd say, here's your payment, a bag of salt. Doesn't that sound funny? But that's where we get the word salary from. Salt, saline, salary. That word comes from the fact that the ancient soldiers were paid in salt. So salt is just amazing. Let me. Oh, there's there's a little message in here, in my salt bag. It's our verse for today. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians four six. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt, hmm, I think I kind of blew it with Dr. Bellock, didn't I? I don't really like that guy, but I didn't have to be mean to him on the phone, did I? I was pretty nasty. I think I need to learn that lesson to let my conversation be seasoned with salt. And you know, kind words can lead to some things. First of all, just like ice, kind words can melt the hardest heart to be more open to God. They can make people thirsty just like salt makes us thirsty. They can make us make them thirsty to hear more about God. And our words can be a preserving and a healing influence to people by telling them about Jesus. Because our words should ultimately not just be about being nice, but be about sharing God's love and God's truth about who he is with other people. Is our God a mean and harsh God? No. No. He's a kind, loving God. God that wants people to come close to him not want to run away from him so let's all try to remember to have conversations that are seasoned with what salt Salt, so that people will want to hear more about Jesus all right let's pray together Lord I just pray for all of us that we would learn to use words that are healing that are loving and compassionate that are kind that will help people see you and your love in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks, Indiana Mimi.
1: (laughs) Always appreciate
0: you coming and sharing. And I had no idea that's where salary came from, so that's a Jeopardy question I can now answer. no, it's such uh, a joy to be with you guys. We are winding down our time in Colossians. We only have a few weeks left, uh, and before—is this on? Yeah, okay. Uh, and before we get into uh, our time in Colossians, I also want to give you a little heads up of where where we're headed after Colossians. Um, Where we're going next is we're going to be entering into a series on the church. And especially if you are new or newish within the last three years, we really want to invite you to make sure that uh, you are around as we're going to do a six-week study on the church uh, and explain how we believe God has called us as a church to operate. Excuse me, Uh, And this is really foundational, especially if you are... In the season where you're trying to figure out, all right, is this the place that God has called me or not? So we really want to invite you to come and be a part of that. And if this is the place where you already are belong, this is a great opportunity to learn, to be encouraged, and to be uh, re-rooted in who we are, why we do what we do, and so that we can continue to answer those who come and bring questions. But today we are in Colossians 4, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And here we are going to continue to learn from Paul and if you've been going through Colossians with us what's this is this is uh, and this is for you two kids as well because you probably know this answer what do you think the book of Colossians is all about even if you don't know anything about Colossians you might be able to get this answer what do you think Colossians is all about who do you think it's it's, it's about Lucas okay specifically who Jesus, that's right. Paul, throughout this letter, has been highlighting specifically who God is in Jesus. How Jesus is above all things, and it's through him and by him that all things are held together. That Jesus is supreme. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have now been rescued, we've been redeemed, we've been ransomed, we've been brought back into right relationship with God. And because of those things, because of who God is, because of what he's done through Jesus, and because of our identity now, Paul's in a spot where he's teaching us how we're called now to live. And throughout Colossians, Paul is insistent. He's insistent that we be a people who live as though Jesus Christ is Lord. He wants followers of Jesus. He wants the church in Colossae to be intentional. And whatever they do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks in everything. In all that we do, he's wanting us to grow in living in the reality that Jesus is king, that Jesus is center. He is who we revolve our lives around. We don't add him into my life. He's at the center of who we are, and our lives revolve around him. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at some, some really important relationships. As Paul is wanting us, he's kind of wanting to explain what does it look like to live as though Jesus is really king in our lives. And so he starts by giving us kind of some general rules of how we're to engage with people, like we're called to forgive each other, we're called to bear one another's burdens, we're called to uh, be at peace with one another, And then he gets into three specific relationships that we looked at for the last three weeks. He looked at husbands and wives and how we're called to engage with each other as God calls wives to submit to husbands and husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And then he calls children specifically. And just like a gathering like this, this letter was read aloud in Colossae, and children were present. And they're hearing the words of Paul being spoken to them, and he says, children, all of you, he says, obey your parents as is pleasing to the Lord. And then he says, fathers, mothers, do not provoke your children, which causes them to be discouraged or broken-spirited. And then the last relationship that we got to see, and this is all within the household in the first century, was this relationship between masters and servants and how servants are of the same value as masters and how servants are called to obey. And in many ways, this could look similar to our work situations where we are called to obey, where we're called to do what our bosses and what our leaders instruct us to do and to do it because it pleases the Lord. And then it goes from the other side and it says masters or those in charge know that you yourselves have a master and that's your father in heaven and you're called to serve him. And so he's had all of these conversations and Paul's leading us and instructing us how to live with Jesus as the center, how to live with Jesus as the most important in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work relationships, in our relationships in general. And now we're going to see how Jesus, or excuse me, how Paul instructs us to now live in relation to outsiders. How we're called to live with Jesus as the center with those who are far from God. And so with that, Let's read our passage today. Colossians 2, excuse me, 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay. So we start here as Paul is beginning to wind down his section, and he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Or as the NIV puts it, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's continuing to teach the church in Colossae and us, how to live in the reality that Jesus is supreme, that he's center, that he's king. And as he begins to wind down his letter to the Colossians here, he gives the linchpin as to how to legitimately live as though Christ is the center. He's giving the linchpin as how we are to, to be able to, in whatever we do, in word or deed, do everything unto the Lord Jesus. He's giving us the key to how this can actually be possible. How do we do this? How do we live with Jesus as the center? How do we live in the reality that Jesus is king? By de- being devoted to prayer. By being steadfast in prayer. You may notice or remember that the letter starts out in Colossians 1.9 with Paul being devoted himself to prayer. He says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Even before Paul has written this letter or began to write this letter, what did he do first? Prayed. He prayed on behalf of these people that he had never met before. He prayed on behalf of a community that he probably knew that there's a good chance that he will never, ever get to go to. And yet he devoted himself to prayer. And now, Paul, like a good leader, he's not inviting them to do something that he himself hasn't done. He's inviting them to follow his footsteps. He's inviting them to follow the patterns in which he's already laid out. And that's that he himself has been one who has been devoted to prayer. And now he's asking them to join in the same lifestyle of prayer. So real quick, just so we're all on the same page, what, what is prayer? Kids, specifically, I want to ask you guys, what, what's prayer? Like in the most basic sense, what do you think prayer is? Yeah. Exactly. Beautiful. Prayer is talking to God. We're not the only ones who needed to learn about prayer. The disciples themselves needed to learn about prayer. And they asked Jesus, how then should we pray? How do we pray? How do we do this? And he says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. We need to be taught how to pray. But at the same time, prayer at its core is extremely basic. Prayer at its core is very simple in some regard and really difficult on others. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is letting your heart speak to the heart of God. Prayer is letting God know how you feel Prayer is a thing that we do because we believe that there is one who is controlling. and it's not me, it's God. And here Paul is inviting the church in Colossae and us to be a people of prayer. What Paul is f- focusing in on here isn't necessarily how you are praying, but he's highlighting the need for us to be aware and intes- intentional in our worshipful existence. You see, to Paul, prayer is not simply an act of presenting oneself or one's personal wishes and desires to God. Rather, it's a way for believers to actually participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in history. And here, Paul is inviting the church in Colossae and to us to participate in God's redemptive plan by praying. See, this is so important and it's so countercultural to the way we work and it's the way we operate because we are such a product-driven people, right? We are such a you work hard and you get what you are owed type of people. It's what's ingrained in us from the beginning. And it's crazy how throughout Scripture you see this pattern and lifestyle of Scripture or of prayer that's invited all throughout history and how Jesus himself exemplified it. And how so often when it comes to our lives and how we operate on a daily basis, how prayer can so quickly become something that we just try and squeeze into our life rather than make a foundational piece. And I say that as somebody who does that sometimes. I say that as somebody who struggles to pray I say that as somebody who tries to take advantage of the stoplights and who tries to take advantage of my community. And those are all great things. But when I read as one who is devoted to prayer, who is steadfast in prayer, there's something in that 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 demarcates that this is so intentional that this is actually a character trait of who you are. think we've been so trained by our culture, by our world, by our media, by Netflix, that shows, that video games, that uh, even reading whatever or playing whatever is so far more important than prayer. And I hope that we see here that as Paul is laying this case for us to live with Jesus Christ as, at the center What's becoming evident is that if we are not a people who are devoted to prayer, we will never live as though Christ is the center. But why do we struggle to pray? Again, kids, I'd love to hear from you. Why do sometimes we struggle to pray? What are some things that sometimes go through our minds? Anybody? Why do we struggle to pray sometimes? I struggle to pray. I can give you my reasons. You want me to give you my reasons, Ellie? We're too busy. You know one of the sad truths sometimes? I just believe it's pointless. I think if we're to boil things down, why we don't pray... Yes, we're busy. Yes, kids require a lot of attention. Yes, we're tired, 100%. But if we're to really, really boil it down, it's because we think that it's pointless. We're not sure it works. And I just want us to see here at the end of Paul's letter, he could have given them a number of charges of how to strategically do this best. And what does he say? Devote yourself to prayer. I know I'm not alone in this room. We have so many friends and family uh, and people in our city that don't know Jesus. And I desperately long for them to come to know Jesus. And we'll talk about this in just a minute. But it's crazy, if I'm to be honest, how little I pray for them. It's crazy how little I pray for them. And again, maybe I'm alone in this. And maybe this message is just for me. But if you get nothing else today, if you get nothing else today, I'm 100% certain that Jesus is calling you into a more devoted life of prayer with him. We could stop right now. If all that happens, that we as a community begin to pray more, I would jump for joy. There has never been a great move of God that has not been rooted in prayer. And we need it. You guys, it's so counterproductive. People get weird when we pray sometimes. And like, I don't know what to say or my mind wanders. It's something that we need to grow our muscles in because prayer is a practice. It's not something that we're instantly like great at all the time. So we need to become a people who practice prayer. And by practice, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that people, when I say practice, it's something that we begin to regularly do on purpose. And if we want to have a life that greatly reflects the reality that Jesus is Lord, we must be a devoted people to prayer. Prayer. My hope is that God would be stirring this in us. That we must not have wisdom like the world has, but we must cling to the wisdom of God, which says, pray first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom is a life of prayer to who? It's to King Jesus. How does he say to pray? He says, be watchful or alert with thanksgiving. Just so so we know really quick this that this, that be watchful or, or or alert is is connected to an eschatological, it, it's excuse me it's connected to a theological term uh which uh is <coughs> excuse me uh oh my gosh it's a, it's used in an eschatological sense which is that means that it's connected to end times or to the return of christ this be alert be watchful with thanksgiving but what's interesting about this is that is that Paul is, is, isn't using this in a scare tactic. He's not trying to scare people by any means. He's saying, hey, be alert. And when he's saying be thankful, he's talking to the church about how they're to pray. Pray with knowing in mind that Jesus already purchased victory at the cross. He is coming back, and the kingdom will be fully established. As you pray, pray with that future reality in mind, with hope, with fervor, with knowing, with confidence this is coming that's why he says be thankful because we can know in the midst of all of this as sometimes our world feels like it's more chaotic than it's ever been we can still be confident we can still be thankful because jesus is coming soon and his kingdom has come and it will come in full as you pray pray with thanksgiving in that way So Paul continues to ask them for prayer, and he says this in verse 3, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I love this from Paul. Paul is probably the best missionary At this point, as far as he's probably the most famous missionary that exists in this, uh, maybe ever in all of history, but especially at this time in the first century. And here Paul is asking the Colossians church, the, the church in Colossae to pray for him. Pray for me. That blows my mind. I think about here how sometimes after our gatherings or after our times on our sermons, we, we offer prayer for anybody who would want to receive it. And I hope what we see here from Paul is that Paul would be the first on the prayer rug. I need prayer. He'd be the first to say, please pray for me. And if we were to look at Paul's track record, part of us would be like, why do you need prayer? Are you struggling with some secret lust issue or like that's you know what's going on, Paul? What's the matter with you? And and we've got to destroy that notion in our minds that we only get prayer when things are wrong. That's horrible. But here Paul's saying, would you pray for us? Pray for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. I love this. Again, he's, he's been preaching the gospel for years now. He's in jail right now because he's been preaching the gospel clearly to people. And he's like, pray that the door would open some more. He says that we might be able, that I might be able to share the word or open us a door for the word. Now as we read this, we might think, That as as he's saying this, for the word, we might think that, oh, this refers to the Bible. Open the door so that I might share the Bible with people. But just to be clear, that is not the right interpretation of this passage. When he says open the door that we might share the word, he's using a specific word. It's called logos. It's not a Bible software program, first. Uh, It's more than that. And when he uses the word logos, logos to the Greek is like, It is the center ideology of the reason or the point of life. It is the reason for existence. In John 1 1, John is writing and he says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Or the Word was God and the Word was with God. And he uses the word Logos each time. And each time the word Logos is used there, it's referring not to just this idea of the Word but it's referring to a person, and that person is Jesus. And so when Paul is saying, hey, pray for us that the door might open the word, he's not saying, hey, pray that the door might open so that we could get out of prison and go do our thing. He's not saying, hey, pray for us that you might open, God might open the door so I could share the specific Bible verse with somebody in order that they might feel really guilty. He's not saying that. He's saying, hey, pray for us that God would open the door that I might share with others the person of Jesus the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to set captives free, to reach those who are oppressed, to those that are held captive, to those that are abused, to those that are sick, for he has not come for those that are well, but to seek and save that which is lost Paul's praying that the door would be opened so that the word, that the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ might be proclaimed because he wants to declare the mystery, this mystery that he's referring to. It's not like a magical mystery or it's not anything that's even new to us, actually. It's something that's very common to us these days. And that that mystery is that, that the gospel, the message of Jesus is open to everyone, to man, woman, child, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. Specifically what Paul's writing to here is that that the mystery that he is called, that God has placed a burden and ambition on his heart, is to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. To those who have forever thought that they could never receive a message like this. And then he says, pray for me that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Once again, I love this. Paul has had more practice in preaching the gospel, probably, than anybody I know. And yet he still believes that this message must be clear, and he must not do it in the power of the flesh. That he must not depend on himself to deliver this message, but he must be one who is dependent upon Holy Spirit. So he says, pray for me. I've got this thing memorized forward and backwards. I could tell you anything you want. That's not enough. This message must be delivered clearly, for I don't want anybody to be confused about who Jesus is. Okay, so Paul invites the Colossians to be praying for him, praying for open doors, praying that the gospel would continue to go forward, and then he says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time says the guy who's in prison, uh, writing this letter. I think that's funny. Uh, he's using the best of his time. Uh, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So Paul starts with prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted be to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. And now as you walk, and that's, this, is a, this is your lifestyle, walk in wisdom with outsiders. So here he is, he's moving into that space where he's saying, okay, how do we live as though Jesus Christ is actually center? He's like, okay, we need to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. This relationship now needs to move outside of just our relationships with our family, outside of just the brothers and sisters in Christ, now into relationship with people who are far from God. It's imperative that we as followers of Jesus have relationships with people who do not know Jesus. If we don't, we actually can't follow this command. And that's necessary for us. He says, let's walk in wisdom. And, and what this means is it takes the whole of Colossians as Paul's referring to wisdom. He's talking about, hey, what does it look like to walk in wisdom? It means that as you go about everything you do and whatever you do in word or deed, you might think I sound like a broken record. We're coming back to it over and over and over again. Whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is what it looks like to walk in wisdom. Now for people like me, that still seems a little bit vague. So I'm glad that Paul gives us a little bit more of like what that actually looks like. But big picture, what Paul is wanting to make clear is he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, he's saying, you have to live your life, not in a private way, but in a public way around those around you who are far from God, like Jesus is Lord. We can't live like Jesus is Lord in our home and not in the office. We can't live like Jesus is Lord in our home and not on the baseball field. That creates problems. So when he says walk in wisdom, he's not saying, hey, you guys all need to be as wise as Solomon. For Paul, as he's saying walk in wisdom, he's saying walk in the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. In every area of life. Make the most of every opportunity. This comes back to that eschatological moment in time. The end is coming. Jesus is coming back. Make the most of every opportunity. We've got to stop living in this thought that life will always be as it is right now. That is not true. Jesus is returning, and it's a promise he's made. We have relationships with people who are far from the Lord. How are we engaging with them in that process? We've got to make the most of every opportunity. And I'm glad Paul continues to narrow that down. What is that? Okay, how do I do that? It's where we get to the verse from Indiana Mimi. Let your speech always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This full of grace. Let your speech always be full of grace. This has two implications. One is that as followers of Jesus, we must have grace for those who are far from God. One of the mistakes I made growing up is that I believed that everybody on planet Earth needed to operate as though Jesus was king, even before they bent their knee to him. I thought that everybody around me was supposed to act like they were a follower of Jesus. And I made them sometimes feel guilty if they didn't. So with that, all I'm, what I want to make sure that we understand in this is that there, we never are required to invite people who don't know Jesus to live like they already do. So when we engage with outsiders, we don't engage with them with judgment and shame, and we shake our head and walk away in disgust and create walls between us. We do the opposite. We listen, we give grace upon grace, and we move closer Now the second part of this full of grace is to be connected similar to what we see in like Acts 6 with Stephen as he's about to get stoned. As he was full of grace, this was synonymous with being full of Holy Spirit. Let our speech be full. Filled with grace. And when we say filled with grace, that we must remember like Paul who is praying for clarity and he's praying that the Holy Spirit would, he's asking for prayer that the Holy Spirit would make things clear. That we too, as we engage with outsiders, we wouldn't do it in the power of flesh. That we too would be a people who are full of grace, which ultimately points back to being regularly filled with the Spirit. So that we might lean on Holy Spirit for motivation, guidance, power, and wisdom. But it's important that it says, let your speech. We live in a time and a place where we have a tendency to say, I just want to show people what Jesus is like, and I'm not super comfortable with telling people what Jesus is like. And notice that Paul has both here. We must demonstrate what he's like, and we must then tell them what he is like. When he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, this is a lifestyle where you are showing people what the kingdom of God is like you're showing people what it looks like to live under the kingship of King Jesus and when he gets to let your speech be full of grace he's saying now you also have to proclaim it you have to open your mouth and let it be seasoned with salts I love this you know me you also know that I love salt It truly does make everything better anybody who says it doesn't is just lying uh And I think there's some cool studies coming out that salt's actually, everybody's like, get rid of salt. Now they're like, oh, we need more salt. Okay, I'm I'm on that train. Uh, But salt makes everything better. But of course, too much of salt on a piece of chicken in particular, or pork, salt and pork actually don't go together really well, but a piece of meat or whatever you're seasoning, if you dump all of your seasoning on just one spot, the meat's not going to turn out that great. The food's not going to be what you desire. Seasoning is something that's to be spread around. You see, Paul's using this word picture to help grab people's minds and hearts as they're engaging with outsiders, as they're engaging with people who are far from them. The word to be like seasoning, not so much that it ruins a meal, but the right amount for the right time. Just like in cooking, you've got to understand what's your seasoning. You season chicken different than you season steak. You season a tri-tip much different than you season a ribeye or a fillet mignon. We must understand the season and time that we are in. We must understand the context in which we're stepping into, and Paul calls us to be like seasoning. There's nothing worse than being involved in a situation where somebody is so convinced with who Jesus is, which is a beautiful thing, but they are so blind to the current situation that the people are around that they railroad and run over people who don't know who Jesus is yet. They don't understand the season the 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 food that they're called to season in that moment and it's so important that we understand that as believers we're called to engage with those far from god we should be like the best seasoning in the world people want to be around you not because you're cool and hip or because you wear skinny jeans or because you like really good coffee or because fill in the blank but we should be like the best seasoning that we don't want to meal without because the love of God rests upon us and it flows out of us. Because like that song we sung earlier about peace, the peace, the shalom of God resides in you. And I'll tell you what, this world needs the peace and the shalom of God. And as followers of Jesus, we get to show that to other people. And I think most of us scream for them, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. But when it comes to having a life devoted in prayer, we're like, I got better things to do. And a prayerless life is not a peace-filled life. A prayerless life is a worried life, a hurried life. As we close, I believe there's two main takeaways for us today. And the worship team, you guys can begin to make your way up here. The first, if we haven't recognized, is that God is inviting us into a life of devoted prayer. And it's not like you guys need to pray more. This is No, this is us. This is we. This is our community. We need to be a people who are devoted to prayer. And we need to be a people that genuinely believe that prayer does something. And if we've never prayed consistently for something, you're not going to see that prayer does something. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. Let's be a people who are devoted to prayer. Just this week, there have been two situations that have been racking my brain. Not two situations, there's been two incidents where... One was listening to a podcast where I got to hear three brilliant leaders from three different continents who have amazing churches, who seem like they've got it all together. They're reaching the next generation, and every single one of them are saying, hey, people are coming to us with strategies of how to do this. What's the best thing to do? How do I get from here to here? How do I break through this and that? And those are fine conversations, but all of these guys who have actually, in the world's eyes, been really successful they're saying all of that mean, means nothing if we are not a people who are devoted to prayer. And if we want to see the next generation reached, if we want to see our kids fall in love with Jesus, if we want to see our kids' kids fall in love to Jesus, the secret is not a secret at all. It's a life devoted to prayer. And I want us as a people to grow in this and so we invite you we do third Thursdays every week we are going to up our intentionality in engaging in third Thursdays once a month not every week where we want to go for it and when we pray we don't want to just pray for our lives and for our kids we want to actually specifically be praying for those who are far from God and that's the second thing to take away God is calling us to engage with people who do not know Jesus I want you to know we never started a church to just help Christians in Ventura County to get more cushy and more comfortable. We want to see the kingdom of God break through in Camarillo and Ventura County. We want to see those who are far from God return to him. And he's used us. He's called us. Kids, adults, parents, friends. He's called us. To be a people who will walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Who will actually open our mouths and be seasoning. And not share just a Bible verse, but legitimately share the person of Jesus with those who are far off. So would would be a people who devote ourselves to prayer, specifically that God would break through. And would we be a people who actually are willing to step in as the Lord provides opportunity to speak the gospel to those around us, that we might see the king, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these amazing kids that are here. Oh, man, God, I, thank, I just pray over our kids specifically right now. God, I ask that you would build in them a prayer life that blows mine out of the water. Holy Spirit would you be moving even right now Lord would you be stirring in our hearts would you be combating lies that says prayer doesn't work and God would we right now would it even be a flag uh, stake moment where we Just commit, and we say, God, we believe prayer matters. We believe prayer is where the battle is won, and God, we are going to enter in. And as kids and parents alike, we are going to grow in lives devoted to prayer. And Holy Spirit, we need your help to do it because everything around us tells us don't do it. So help, Holy Spirit. And God, we just pray for a harvest in Camarillo. We know that it must be rooted in prayer, but God, we just pray that those who are far off, we pray specifically, many of us have family members who don't know you, Jesus. We pray, God, that you would draw them to yourselves. Would we see those who are far off be brought near because Jesus, you have made a way. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna respond now in singing. And so we invite you to stand with us, uh, and kids, the the songs are going to be on the screen. We invite you to sing along with us together. We sing these things because they're true, and as we're singing, we want to invite you to go take communion this morning. Take communion and remember that Jesus Christ is Lord, and as you are dunking that cracker into the juice, we invite you that as you do that, you do it. Even with this commitment, as you're celebrating Jesus, as you're focused on him, Jesus, you are Lord, you are King. But you're also committing to say, God, grow a life of prayer in me. And also, God, if you so will, would you use me to help engage with outsiders, those who are far from you, for your glory. We also have prayer available on the sides We'd love to pray with you this morning during our response time and and we worship through our giving which is available in the back. Would we respond now?